and we just kind of waited for it to be on there. But what we want to do is to lead us, not just to be able to see on Sunday morning, but to be able to open the scriptures for yourself, to read God's word for yourself. So uh, what we're going to do is, uh, what we've always done is we make the Bible available to you. So if you need a Bible, uh, go ahead and put up your hand. One of our ushers will be glad to bring you one, give it to you. Uh, If you've never owned a Bible before, if you don't own one, take it with you. We want you to have that so you can put up your hand. Also, we're very aware of technology this day. Most of us have Bibles on our phones. Whether you have the app or not, you can find it on there. It's okay to use it during the church. During church, uh, We want you to be able to navigate through. And I'll be honest with you, this is a little bit of an experiment. So if you don't like it, go ahead and tell me about it. Um, and we'll see where God, God, God leads us. But if you're new with us, we want you to have a Bible. We want you to get into it. You can also pull out your notes um, that we make available for you each week. Some of you like taking notes. It helps you to learn. We want you to grasp these concepts. So that's why we have those note sheets. Um, leading up to September 27th, then the series will be, and we are in a series called the gospel. Uh, gospel is a word that we talk a lot about in church. Uh, we throw it all, it's really the center of all that we do and all that we are. So what is the gospel? Uh, church, this is, I actually do want a little bit of participation here. So uh, I, I know this is something that we get excited about, the gospel, right? So what is the gospel? It is Good news. We talked about that last week. Hey, the gospel is good news. It's actually the good news that uh, God so loved the world that he sent his son and Jesus died for sinful people. And he rose again that we might have new and eternal life. This is the gospel, the heart of it. It's the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that even though we will die, that we can raise to new life. This is good news that we get excited about. Now, if we kind of break it down, we want to understand it. The gospel comes in four parts. Um, the first thing we need to know something about is God. We need to know who is God. Is he, uh, who is he to you? Okay? And his greatness, we talked about that last week, the greatness of God. We also need to know something about ourselves. Who are we in relation to God? That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, next, uh, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about uh, Jesus and Christ and who he is uh, in the gospel. Now, we talk about Jesus every Sunday, but we're going to really talk about him in a couple of weeks. And then finally, we're going to talk about the personal response that we all need to have. You see, we don't uh, get this good news by something our parents did or by some church that we're a part of. It is a personal response that we make before God. And so we're breaking these down uh, in this series to talk about. Well, what we hope that throughout this series... We will all come to really grasp the gospel, uh, to understand it in its fullness, to not just have a churchy word that we throw around, but to grasp it. So whether you're new and have no idea, we hope that, hey, you'll be able to take this and hold on to it. Uh, if, if you've been in church and you use the word all the time, that we would be re-impassioned. Uh, Uh, by the reality that comes in the gospel. We want to be able to trust it, take steps of faith in this good news. We want to live it and realize that the gospel is something for us each and every day. It's not just a gateway that gets us into eternity. It's each and every day. And so we want to live it. And finally, finally, we're going to talk about sharing the gospel. Because what we do with good news is we tell people about it. And so we actually have our gospel challenge. Now it's called a challenge because it will be a challenge and difficult uh, for many of us. There's many of us who have been in church who have walked the walk, but we've never really shared the gospel with anybody. And so the challenge is this. In this month, that you would share the gospel in words with somebody. 
I know a lot of times you say, well, we do it in relationship and action, but to actually share it in words with somebody as Jesus called us to. So hey, maybe you're here and you're like, well, I don't know what I would say. That's what this series is about. Maybe you're here and you're saying, well, I don't really feel all that excited about it. We hope to get you excited. I am excited about it. I'm challenging this as well. And just so you know, I'm not saying, hey, you go do this. This is where I share the gospel in words. I know, I know that it's difficult to be out there face-to-face with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our family. And so I, too, am praying that I would have the opportunity to share with my neighbor across the street uh, who is a Muslim man and his family that we built up a relationship. He came for Easter Sunday. I want to share the gospel in words, and I'm praying for that. I pray that you would pray with me. In fact, if you want us to pray for somebody that you're praying for, um, on the app, if you go all the way down to the end of that digital connection card on there, there's a spot that says, I'm praying to share the gospel with blank. That's there so that in these coming weeks, we can pray with you, that God would open a door for you to share. Okay. Here's a thought for this morning. Good news is only great news when we grasp the reality of bad news. Okay, until then, I guess it's just kind of news that we go with. But good news is only great news when we really grasp something bad. I was sitting in a coffee shop a few months ago, just kind of sitting doing some afternoon work when I got a call from my wife. And uh, she says, "Uh, honey, I've been getting these spots in my eye all day. They've been getting worse all the week. I've I've, um, called the doctor, and uh, she's really concerned. Um, She says that what could be going on is that uh, it's actually a detached retina in my eye, and if it's not taken care of right away, um, I could go blind. And so I said, honey, I'll come get the kids. I'll take them. We actually had a discovery group that night. Uh, We went there for a little bit while she um, went there, and um, then uh, I rushed over there to, to the emergency room, and on the way, you know, I, I'm sitting there for these hours just kind of uh, as I'm, I'm caring for our kids going through my mind says, how in the world will I, I do this if my wife goes partially blind? How in the world will I, we make it in light? What's going to be different? This, this is really kind of a difficult, tragic situation. And, um, and so I'm driving there. I'm thinking all these things in my mind. And on the way, I get a call from my wife. And she says, honey, um, the doctor said my eye's going to be okay. And I'll tell you, when I got to the emergency room and I hugged her and I looked in her eyes and I, I kissed her eyes and, you know, just kind of, you know, just that good news that came out of there. And I'll tell you, on most days, you know, if at the beginning of the day she had come out and she had said to me, honey, my eyes are okay. Um, we kind of okay, honey, that's great. That, that's, that's fine. Now let's get on with the day. Now, the problem for many of us in church is that we show up on a Sunday morning and we hear the news that Jesus saves. And we kind of say, okay, that's good. I got that. Let me move on. Let's move on, fixing some of these other problems. What we reality is we haven't grasped the reality of our situation that makes that good news of the gospel really great news, that really makes it tremendously great news. You see, if there's somebody out on a life raft in the middle of the ocean, when a boat comes and there's shouts of joy, that is really great news because of the direness of the situation. When a patient hears the words, the cancer is gone, it brings the elation up. When a parent who is praying for their sick child, wondering what, what is going to happen, and they hear it's going to be okay, There is a response 
that comes out of that. And until we really grasp the reality of the bad news, we will never grasp the reality of the great news that we have in the gospel of Jesus. So today we're going to do a little bit of a work to grasp the reality of the bad news. Grasp the reality of sin, if we put it in a, a word. Now, I know sin is kind of a churchy word. We're going to talk about it a lot and kind of uh, understand. I also know that it's a tough topic where I know some of you are like, oh, great, I brought my friend this morning. Now we're going to kind of drill in on sin for a while. Um, and it's something we don't like to talk about uh, in the world and whether sin even exists. But um, really, to grasp the reality of the gospel, sin is our reality that we live in each and every day. You don't have to be a Christian to realize that there's something drastically wrong with our world today. We see it all over the news. We hear it all over the world. We experience it in our own lives. I mean, how many of us sitting here today could look back at at our life and our childhood and all the, the wrongs that have been done, not only by us, but to us, and we experience those consequences ourselves. We feel it even in our hearts as we try to follow Jesus. Why is it that I don't do the things that I want to do, but I do the things that I don't want to do? We feel it. We know this is the reality. There's something drastically wrong in the world. The answer to what is wrong is sin. The answer to what is right is the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for sinful people and rose again to give us the hope of new life. Let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father, we've come to this place experiencing another week of brokenness, another week of this broken world. God, you know where we've been. You've seen it all and you've welcomed us to come to this place to hear a word from you. God, I pray that we would understand the reality of our condition, that we would understand the reality of our world, understand the reality of sin. But God, I pray that it wouldn't just be an intellectual exercise we go through today, but that it would sink deep into our hearts, God, and that you would do a work through your spirit within us today. It's in Jesus' name that we ask this. Amen. There was a time when everything was right. Genesis chapter 1, page 1 of your Bibles, speaks of a time when all was well in the world. After God, our creator, had created everything. That's what Genesis 1 is talking about. God creating everything that's out there. Now, I know a lot of us have questions about that, and, but I just want you to stick with us uh, for a little bit and see if this explains where we're at in our lives. Verse 26 After God had created everything, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds in the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God said, and it was so, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. The dawn of creation when all was very good. Now, if we're going to really grasp the gospel 
uh, there's a few things that we need to grasp first. Grasping the gospel begins, as we talked about last week, with grasping the reality of God. That there is a God who is unlimited, awesome, wonderful creator, who is all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving, and he is glorious. Only when we begin to grasp the reality of God can we then begin to grasp the reality of ourselves as is written here. What is man? What we gain from this passage is the fact that we see that man and woman were created. They are not the creator. There is a God and we are not him. So what is, what is man? We see that they are the creation of God, created for his glory as the rest of creation, not created to be the center, but created to give glory and worship back to God like the rest of the creation. But we are a special creation that says here, let us make man in our image. So God created man in his own image. We are created in the image of God. Not wholly like God, but to on this earth to reflect God. Uh, to be uh, created in his image, to be glorious. Not in the way God's glorious, but as a creature is to his creator. We need to understand that though we were created special, God did not put us on this earth that he would serve us, but that we would serve him. And so a, a final piece is that we were created with responsibilities. Look at what God says, that they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that we would create others who would glorify God created in his image. Also that we would oversee the creation as stewards of creation, not using and abusing all of the resources, but to be good stewards of the creation that God has given us. This is who we are. We are created. God's special creation, but created nonetheless. There is a God, and we are not him. And so the picture that we get in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is this picture of things being very good. And I don't know, I don't know if it kind of stirs your heart to think about like walking through a garden holding hands with God. Right? That's kind of like the cartoon picture that we usually get. But picture a reality where we're able to fulfill our purposes, where there aren't tears, where there aren't pain, where kids don't come home needing both glasses and braces in the same week that the company announces that they're going to cut budgets. Picture a world where we don't eat dinner alone by ourselves on another night for another week. This is the creation that was very good. So why is it not our experience today? Well, we go to page two, Genesis chapter three. And we pick it up there, and this is what happens. It says, now the servant, serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now, I know for many of us, this may seem like a story that comes out of our, our children's Bible. Uh, but we recognize that we have an enemy who is a deceiver. 
and wants to twist God's good words in order to lead us astray. He says, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when, when the woman saw the tree that was good for food and that it was a delight to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And at that point, everything had been broken. An act of disobedience. It's what we call in the church the fall. And not the kind of, kind of slip and bump your head type fall, but a, a, a slip and fall down and wreck everything type fall. This is the fall. And yes, there is one who plays the part of the deceiver, who would lead us astray, who would uh, try to capture us and pull us away from the loving plan that God has. And there's the woman and there is the man who take of the fruit and eat it and disobey God. Now, have you ever thought, like, what's the big deal? Really? I mean, eating a piece of fruit, I know there's a little bit of disobedience. God said not to, but really, why all of this because of that? Yes, we agree the manifestation was an eating of a piece of fruit, but really, it's the underlying heart. You see, an underlying heart that has distrust for the Creator. An underlying heart that doubts God and his goodness. An underlying heart that desires independence from God. To exalt oneself, to make someone wise apart from God. As if God doesn't have everything that we need in himself. This is the root of sin. Not just doing bad stuff, but consciously deciding and choosing to turn away from creator God, to elevate ourselves, to do things our own way, to trust in ourselves. And if we think about this is the heart that we all endure. For those of us who are our parents, look at our children. I don't know how many of you had to teach them to be selfish. How many of you had to teach them to talk back? Teach them to wander their own way no from the beginning it seems that children are ripe to go their own way we feel it ourselves you know okay we want to do things the right way but we continually find ourselves failing we look around the world and we see all kinds of evil throughout history that has been manifested by people who desire power desire to be gods in and of themselves rather than serve the god See, here, here's our big error oftentimes, is that we view sin as just bad things that we do, and we don't get down to the heart of it, to the root of it. Jesus said it this way, what comes out of your mouth proceeds from the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder and adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. He kind of groups all those things together and says, it's not just bad actions, but it's coming out of the heart. Do we recognize the heart and the root of sin? In Romans 5.12, it tells us that when Adam sinned, all of humanity from every generation got caught up in it. 
that here's the truth about what is sin. Sin is more than our bad attitudes, our bad thoughts, and our bad behaviors. Uh, the Bible defines sin in a lot of different ways. In the Old Testament, there are some Hebrew words. Ra'ah, which means broken into pieces. Avon, which means to bend and twist and to distort. Pesha, which is a word for rebellion and revolt. Chata, which is missing the mark. The picture being like an archer that looks at the target that he wants to hit and misses the target. We miss the mark of where God has called us to be, to depend on him, to trust in him, to hold fast to him, to worship him. And we miss the mark. In the New Testament, there's a Greek word, harmatia, that is the main word for sin, which also means missing the mark. But if we uh, don't just, I mean, when we look to define sin, yes, sin are things that we commit, things that we do. It's also things that we don't do, things that we omit. Sin are things where we do intentionally and where we plan out. Sin is also things that we kind of slip into and we never really meant to be in there, but we find ourselves there unintentionally. Sin can also be that which is not only committed by you, but that which is committed against you. So the Bible's definition for sin is, is rather large. But if we take the full breadth of it, here's what we can understand, church. That sin is not just about the bad things that we do or say or think. Sin is the hopeless condition that each and every one of us finds ourselves in. Sin is a hopeless condition that we are born into. It's kind of as there's this a big ship for humanity that is sailing along in this world. And if you look at where that ship's heading, it is heading for ultimate destruction. Now, when we are born, we are born onto that ship. There's no getting off of that ship. That is what we are in humanity, destined for destruction because of our sinfulness. Now, sin, if we look deeper, sin is our nature. We're born into it. The Bible calls, says that is kind of wrapped up in our flesh. That's why we see our kids going astray as the way they do, even from a young age. Sin is in our nature. It comes from our heart, because our hearts are bad, not just our actions are bad. Sin is also what separates us from God. God is holy. God is glorious. God is creator. Sin always separates us, forms a chasm that we cannot cross. Separates us from God. That is where both the term spiritual death as well as physical death come from. That's a result of sin, separation from God. Things are not as they once were. Things are broken. Finally, sin affects every aspect of our being. Sin affects our mind. It affects our emotions. It affects us physically. It affects our relationships. Make sure the young girl who grows up in a house where her dad just isn't around for one reason or another, striving for the attention that's lost, uh, discovers sex at a very early age, and goes through high school seeking the next relationship after another relationship, ends up married one day, but all of those wounds have come in there, continually seeking for that affection that was once lost. 
affects every aspect of her being. The young boy who grew up, his dad was around. But his dad always demanded more. You're not performing well enough. You're not getting the grades. You're not doing good enough in sports. You must do, do, do to please me. And so he goes through life doing, doing, doing just to please his dad, hoping that he would hear that he had done well, but never receiving that. And so it's caught up in his mind. It's caught up in his emotions. It's caught up in how he's physically walking through life, working the long hours, not paying attention to family at home, turning to those things which will offer quick gratification rather than pursuing what God has. Or maybe the kid that would grew up in church was always taught, sits there still, be quiet, listen, do the right thing. Don't you dare put a mark that would make anyone think that we don't have it all together. And so we grow up religious. That's just the beginning of it, right? You know your story. In which sin gets in and infects every part of us. Our mind, our emotions, our physical circumstances. The thing is, the Bible explains this. The Bible talks about this. Now again, I I don't know how you feel about uh, the Bible, but we have to ask, does this explain where we're at? Romans chapter 1, if you want to turn there with me. Romans chapter 1, be page 804 in the Bible that you have. Here's what it says, Romans 1, in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Uh, We need to talk about the wrath of God for a bit because the reality is uh, we like singing about God who is loving, a God who is gracious, a God who is all merciful, a God who does good things and plans everything right. But do we grasp that God is also wrathful? That he must be wrathful against sin because he is holy and he is pure and he is perfect. And when he looks at his creation that goes astray, it's more than just a little temper tantrum. But it is God working out his wrath over the sinful nature of this world that breaks his heart. Where people do incredibly harm to one another. Where people continually turn away from the God who is great and turn to lesser things. And so Romans tells us that the wrath of God is being revealed. And as we look at the circumstances that we're in here, the things that we feel, the reality is God's wrath against sin is a reality. It is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Do we live in a world that even though things go from bad to worse, do we tend to Think more about God? Or do we tend to think less? Suppressing the truth. Not turning to God, but turning from Him. Pursuing every other way, but rather than turning to Him. By our ungodliness and unrighteousness, we suppress the truth. This is, this is a bad thing because of this. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to him, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. What God says is look around. 
Do you see me? He says, as we uh, challenged us to do this past week, to go to look up at the heavens, to look at the stars, and say, ah, this is just fate. Or might there be a God out there who created all this? He says, go to the beach. Enjoy this creation. Do you see me there? He says, look in your baby's eyes. Heck, he says, listen to your heartbeat or look at your hand, at the intricacies, by chance or by God. God says, we're without excuse because we've seen him, because we can know him, his eternal power, and his divine attributes. Continues, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, God says that, it talks about that pursuit of how as we look around at all those things, there is a pursuit for knowledge, a pursuit to become wise. Now, I love science for those of you who, who know me. My background is in science. Uh, here's the reality. I could be diving on a coral reef and all the amazing attributes are there. I've done this tons of times with with other scientists alongside and can look and be enthralled with the majesty, ask the questions about how and what. But the difference at the root of it all is this. You give glory to God or glory to another. Does your pursuit of knowledge lead you to a reality that there is a greater thing here than I can explain and that there is a God of the universe who created these things? Or does it lead you to an endless pursuit of your own trying and doing to understand? You see, that's not just for scuba divers. That is for all of us. Because what we do is rather than turning to God, looking to him, saying, God, you are my all. You are what I need. You are are the one that I depend on. We continually try in and of ourselves. And that goes back to that root of sin over and over and over again. And we're perpetually plagued by the seeking to do ourselves rather than turning to the creator. And so God says this, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Those are some hard words there where it says that therefore God let them go. God gave them up. You see, God didn't create man and woman as robots that would just go through the motions each and every day. He created us as beings who had a choice. The first man and woman, they chose to go elsewhere. And you and I would do the same day after day because we do. We choose to go in our own pursuits rather than pursuing him who created us. God lets us go. And so we experience the wrath of God against a sinful world. That ship is sailing. We find ourselves on it. I know many of us would look out and we would say, yeah, the wars around the world, they are awful. How could people do that? 
But yet what Jesus tells us is the same root in our heart that leads us to gossip or to hold back forgiveness from those around us because we want to elevate ourselves. Or we can look around the world and we can see murder and striving for power but we can also look at ourselves and seeing how we desire, how we'll do anything to get ahead in our world. Or, you know, we'll sit here and we'll condemn, we'll talk about sex trafficking and we'll talk about how awful it is that thousands of young girls are entrapped against their will to do things that ought not to be done. But yet we won't think twice about just catching a quick glimpse of something. You see, we need to understand that the root of it all is the same, seeking pleasure, seeking our own way, trusting in ourselves rather than the creator. And so God says, I'll let the ship go. One day, God will fully unload his righteous judgment. But what we need to understand, what it says in 2 Peter chapter 3 is this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you, not wishing that any would perish, but that you should all reach repentance. Repentance. That we would see the direction that we're heading and that we would actually change direction. You see, it's not hopeless. We're talking about bad news here in the reality of sin and in our condition, but there is good news Hey, I don't know what the Greek word for bad news is, but I do know what it is for good news. It is euangelion. It is the gospel. And here's the good news, that we have the opportunity to turn, that though that ship is sailing, God not only kind of walks alongside, hoping that we would fall into his arms, but he actually pursues us. He, he's constantly pursued. When Adam fell, when Adam sinned, he said in Genesis 3.9, the first words of grace, he came to that couple that was hiding in sin, and he said, where are you? God pursues. He sent his prophets to bring the message to call people to repentance. He sent his son to the cross, and today he still sends people to share the message that there's not only bad news, but that there is good news, that we can turn to him. And the good news is this, that Jesus went to the cross. He died the perfect sacrifice. He took the fullness of God's wrath on himself, on that cross, on that miserable cross, so that you don't have to endure the guilt, that you don't have to endure the shame, but that you could turn to him, that you could surrender to him, that you could look to him. And to receive the newness of life. Because Jesus didn't stay dead. The good news is this, that he rose again. Sometimes we get the idea about sin and our need for forgiveness. But do we get the reality of resurrection and new life? You see, in Jesus, we're not meant to stay there on this earth. Yes, we'll battle with sin. We'll struggle with that because, you know, God knows that as we continually see the ship, there's sometimes when we say, you know, I'd like to be back on that ship. I'd like to reach out and just get a little bit of it. But God holds us fast, and while we'll step out there a little bit, he holds on to us, that we would stand in his grace and in his mercy. God always pursues. 
I think he's been pursuing some of you. He's always ready for you to come to him. Are you ready to come to him? Are you ready? Are you ready to step to him? Because, again, he won't force you. God doesn't force himself on us. He'll allow us to experience some of these circumstances so that we'll once again turn to him and come back to him. Are you ready to turn to him? Some of you maybe have never done that before. I'm going to give you an opportunity here in a moment. Some of you, you've heard the gospel before. You've turned to Jesus to save you from your sins, but you find yourself continually in the muck and mire of it. The good news of the gospel is that he continues to hold us fast. And he wants you to come back to him again, whatever it is you've been pursuing, whatever it is you've been finding satisfaction in. Will you find greater satisfaction in him and the good news of his son Jesus? Those are some of us who have lived in the gospel and we celebrate and we appreciate this good news, but one of the most unloving things that we can do for the broken world around us that is hurting, that is lost, that is desperate is to keep this good news to ourselves. The reality, according to my calculations, is that 13 of the 14 people that we pass on the streets in Davis or in our workplace or in our neighborhoods don't know Jesus. That means they are on a ship headed for destruction. God has not turned away from them. In fact, he has sent us to be part of sharing that with him. Oh, that he would open our eyes to see. Open our hearts to the good news. God, we come before you. God, that we would grasp the reality of our sin. And so often we don't want to go there. The sins that we've committed, the sins committed against us, to feel the brokenness all around us. Now we don't want to go there, so we often don't. So we live with some good news. But Spirit, if you would show us Help us to grasp the reality of our hopeless condition. That you wouldn't leave us there. That you would help us to see you, Jesus, in the midst of it. That you came to take it all. That you came to take all of our sin. All that we've committed. All that has been committed against us. And that you can make us new again. God, you could take those of us who have been wounded and make us well. You can take those of us who have been dirtied and make us clean. You can take those of us who have been labeled and give us a new name. God, that is what you've done in your son, Jesus. So would we as your people return to you to not stay in the reality of sin, but to live in the reality of you, Jesus. God, I pray for those of us who call ourselves the church who call ourselves by your name, that we would live in the fullness of the gospel truths, that we would live each day in the reality of where you have grabbed us from and what you have called us to. Oh God, that that reality would become ours. 
God, that we would live with the passion that you have, that as you sent your son sacrificially to the cross, that we may also grasp the reality that you love other sinners out there and want us to go to them, to share as scared as we are, as much as it might cost us, that we would go to be about advancing your name, the one name that brings the power of salvation. I know that every week there are people that walk into these doors that are lost and need to be found, that are hurting and need to be cared for. What we offer here as a church is Jesus, the gospel. And if you have never received him before, never trusted in him before, if you feel kind of a stirring in your heart right now, that's the Holy Spirit who wants you to grasp not only the reality of your sin, but the reality of the grace that God loves you. And it says in the Bible that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and if we will believe in our hearts that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. And so if you're desiring that to be saved by the good news of Jesus, um, with every head bowed and eyes closed just to pray in the silence of this moment before God hey God I'm seeing the reality of myself I'm feeling my brokenness I'm a sinner and I need saving Jesus I need you I want you, come into my heart, make me new. Jesus, make me new. I trust in you. I follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, we pray, amen. If you did pray that prayer, we would love to talk to you down at the prayer corner down there as we continue to respond. If you need prayer, if this sermon kind of welled up some things in your heart, sins that you're struggling with, uh, we pray for one another. Uh, we share that burden together as we come before Jesus. So if you need prayer for anything, uh, while we continue in our response, uh, prayer will be available down uh, in the corner for you.